I was hanging out with a friend of mine in Indianapolis, and he asked me if I would drive him to the local Quickie Mart so that he could buy a lottery ticket. I've never played the lottery, but I don't care if anybody else wants to, so... We jumped in the car and we drove down, and right about the time I was about to get out of the car as we pulled into the Quickie Mart, Riding the Storm Out came on the radio. And this guy's the biggest REO Speedwagon fan that you'd ever met. Really big fan. And I'm about to turn off the car, and he says, No, no, wait, let's listen to it. So we sat there for a while, listening to Riding the Storm Out, while he's playing air guitar. Somewhere along the line, I saw a guy pull up next to us, and uh, he got out of the car and went inside. Right about the time Gary Richraff was uh, playing his eighth or ninth guitar solo, this thing finally winded down, and we got out of the car and walked in. So as we walked in, the woman behind the counter had a big smile on her face, and she says, you should have been here. The guy that came in just before you guys won $5,000 on a scratch-off ticket. And then my buddy just stood there with his jaw open, and he couldn't believe that he'd actually sat outside and listened to Riding the Storm Out and played air guitar to it instead of buying a $5,000 lottery ticket. And this was years ago. This might have been 20 years ago. But to this day, he hates REO Speedwagon. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm in a hotel room in Texarkana, and uh, I paid $28 for this hotel room, and you don't get much for $28 in Texarkana. I'm not saying it's bad, but I left a piece of dental floss out on the counter, and a cockroach hung himself. That's how bad it is. This is a personal journal. This is an experiment. I like to say up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. And this is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Mary Gaucher. Mary's a singer-songwriter based in Nashville, Tennessee. She's had songs recorded by people like Tim McGraw, Blake Shelton, Boy George, and Jimmy Buffett. The first time I ever saw Mary live, Amy and I went to see her at the Cactus Cafe in Austin, Texas. And uh, my buddy Tom Yutz was playing guitar with her at the time. And uh, Tom's the guy playing all the slide guitar that you hear through this show. But we were blown away. It was just a beautiful, beautiful evening of music. And uh, we've been fans ever since. If you'd like to find out more about Mary, just go to marygoshe.com. Mary was nice enough to invite me into her living room in Nashville, Tennessee. We got to sit down and have a nice conversation over coffee. I hope you guys enjoy it. Here's Mary Goshe. Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is uh, the big hurdle for me is I'm 50 years old now this year, and uh, I didn't grow up on technology. Uh, I remember when Al Gore invented the internet. I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, um, way before 
uh, GPS and cell phones, and you know, I toured around with maps. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't have any of that. I had to have quarters to use a payphone. So I have resistance to this new technology that I have to overcome. And it's inside of me. It's me telling myself, oh, I can't figure it out. It's too hard. I don't know what to do with it. I don't understand the application. And so that's the biggest. It's much harder to get through the resistance than to learn the technology. Yep, trying to drive around Chicago with the map in my hand, figuring out where a club is while everybody's blowing their horn, on me, horn at me and trying to <laughs> kill me and I'm lost. And Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Things have changed so fast. But I think... I think I'm doing it. I think I'm able to, well, I've pinpointed the real problem, which is in my brain. And so I say, okay, resistance. I'm, I w- I'm aware that you're probably just fear in disguise, but you're going to have to pause for 15 minutes while I learn how to use SoundCloud and tweet a song out to people that they can listen to. So it's going to take about a half an hour. You can come back in 40 minutes, but right now, resistance, you're on pause. We're going to learn this thing. And once a week, I just do it. I just learn something new. And I think you almost have to right now, once a week. Everything is changing so fast. If you're not learning something new once a week, you're getting behind. Yeah, and, and I remember when I owned my restaurant and I wanted to expand um, to a full service restaurant. I had a takeout restaurant. And, um, um, at the takeout restaurant, everything was, was bought and sold. So I'd buy the soups and resell them, buy the muffins and resell them, you know, buy the breads, put sandwiches together and, and, and sell them. And I wanted to open a full-service restaurant, and I knew that I had to go to chef school before I did that, or else my chef would have me over the barrel. If I had people working for me who knew how to do things that I didn't know how to do, I would be at their mercy. I knew I had to go to chef school. Yeah. But in the music business, we've never looked at it that way. We've always just kind of gotten more and more and more dependent on the system. Uh, and, and in the end, when it collapsed on me, I didn't even know how much money I made. I couldn't figure it out. Literally, there were so many people between me and the money, I couldn't tell you if I made or lost money in any given tour, any given night, any given year. Wow. I needed them to tell me. Do you think it was... In the system, it's built that way to where oh, you just yeah. never know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all about us not knowing how much money they're stealing from us. <laughs> it's all about that. And and as, as artists, I think a lot of us, particularly me, have been guilty of, well, I just want to write songs and play them. You know, you just tell me where to go and I'll go and we'll, we'll uh, you know, we'll collect the money at the end of the night and hopefully at the end of the year there's a pile left over for me. Yeah. So... For me, the challenge has been uh, to learn all of those things I didn't want to learn. And I have been. This, that's what this year has been all about for me, is, is um, demystifying the entire process. Learning how to read a contract. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Turns out contracts can be written in English. <laughs> you know, they can. Now, I've sent contracts back and back and back this year and said, look, this sentence is nonsense. These contracts have been butchered and hacked and, 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 and ripped and sawed and sewn over the years, and this is just garbage now. You know, you got to fix this thing. If you want me to sign this contract, I have to be able to read this contract. This has been cut and paste for 10 years on these contracts, and they're sending them via email over, and, uh, you know, I can't, can't understand it. Yeah, but you're expected to sign what you don't understand. And... 
than yeah. most people probably do. Yeah, I, you know, a big thing for me, Otis, has been to say, I don't understand. And if you got to have to explain it to me, turns out they don't understand either because it doesn't make <laughs> sense. So rewrite the sentence and put it in English so we both know what we're agreeing to here Yeah, as best as possible. I know language is slippery and you never fully know, but... And I went through that with the record company and a publishing company. And, and uh, you know, I'm just learning to, to put the brakes on when things start getting going too fast. You know, me, because I got, I got in the system early, that was how I learned how it was done. I got a record deal early and then another one and then another one. And so now I'm outside of the system having to relearn it. But it's so empowering. And I feel good about every little victory. I feel so good about it. And and it's it's because I'm I'm to blame and and I'm to get credit, you know? <laughs> if it if it hits the wall, that's my fault. If that's it right. did good, well then I did that. You know, there's there's not a there's not a, a board meeting as to uh what what what's supposed to happen next. You know, I'm deciding. You know, I coming like I said, I keep going back to the restaurant thing cuz I I did own three restaurants. And I had venture capitalists in all three to help me put the money together and put the business plan together and put the uh, idea together. And always what I was taught by these VC guys, and they were great. They were just great. They always taught me, look, let's look for the win-win. Here's what we want. Here's what you want. Somewhere in the middle, we're going to both be happy. We're not going to get all what we want. You're not going to get all what you want. It's the politics of compromise. And finding a way that both people can walk away from the table feeling like they won. Well, the music business screwed that up a while back. And uh, artists uh, everywhere felt like they lost. And ended up at war with the, with the business. And uh, that's when things whirled out of control. And then we got lucky because all this technology came and we're getting the control back. We're getting the control back. And the people that we're doing the lopsided deals or having a harder and harder time getting a job in the industry. You know, every single person that was at Universal, and I was there for eight years, every single person I know has either been fired or, uh, or, or laid off or their division is shut down. The last person that I knew there, she made videos for She oversaw video production for Universal for 22 years. She got laid off a month ago. Ooh. Shut her down. They're farming it out. Wow. Yep. That's rough. They're gone. They're all those people. I don't know what they're doing. You know, I, I guess they're doing consulting and they're doing what we're doing, man. They're, they're having to figure <laughs> it out from the ground up again. They're hustling. They're hustling. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Buddy Miller. Um, Buddy, uh, I knew I needed to get out of Boston. I knew, I knew being Southern and playing songs the way I play them and write them didn't make any sense for me to live in Boston. It just confused people. And they didn't have any understanding of what I was doing, really. Um, it was, uh, you know, way before the term Americana had ever been coined. And, and they just thought mostly that I was dumb, basically. <laughs> you know, there were these folk singers using three capos and chords that I don't understand <laughs> and tunings that I'll never learn. And it was, as my first agent said, product confusion. <laughs> you got to get out of the North, Mary. You got to go South. Mm -hmm. 
you're going to have to get out of the North. I can't sell you if you live in Boston. I don't know why, but he told me that. And um, I knew I wasn't, it wasn't working out so good there in Boston for me, but I thought I could live anywhere I wanted. But I always wanted to come to Nashville anyway, you know. And I was, I was going Nashville, Austin, Nashville, Austin, Nashville, Austin. Because all my friends that I was making in the business lived in Austin. And so I was, I was, I was a little, little uh, unsure which town to come to. And I sat to, down with Buddy. And he said, well, come to Nashville and give it a try. But the business, he said, Austin's cool, but the business is in Nashville. And you're a business person. You want to be in business. I, I mean, y- you can be cool anywhere. But if you want to be in business, <laughs> you, you might want to come to Nashville. And then I talked to Guy Clark, and he said the same thing. He said, well... I think the, the the thing he said was, Kathy Matea is looking for one more song on her record, and she needs somebody to come by, by and play it at the studio. They're not going to be calling people from Austin. He said, I get my cuts because I'm in town. And so that kind of did it. So that's why I came to Nashville. Plus, I love Nashville. I've always been fascinated with Nashville. I just thought I might be crucified being gay. My biggest fear was coming here gay. And I, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> See, either come here gay or not come here. There was no, there was no separation, you know. There was no closet for me ever. I never, ever had a closet. So um, I was a little worried about that. I mean, this was uh, 1999. And uh, there hadn't been anybody broke through gay in Nashville, you know. Because <laughs> yeah. people said, Mary, it'll be you. And I thought, yeah, oh, sure, right, right. Well, turns out it kind of was. Yeah, I'm the first openly gay person to ever play the Grand Old Opry. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. I know. And I didn't even, it wasn't even like I came out and waved a rainbow flag or anything. I just <laughs> came out and played. But, but, but uh, you know, Marty Stewart brought me with him, and, and, and it was a moment for me. It was a moment for all of us, I That's think. That's a great moment. And fortunately, Charlie Pride was on the bill. He's the first, I think, uh, one of the first... Uh, openly black people, <laughs> um, you know, there was the harmonica player, D Ford, but, but I think Charlie's one of the first artists with the deal, the, the person of color to, to be embraced by the Opry, and he was on the bill, and I just thought, man, this is kind of poetic tonight. Yeah. I, Nashville really, at least the circles I run in, it just feels like a really, really open place that wouldn't be hung up about things like that, but then there's circles that I don't, venture into that I realized might be a little more hostile. Did you experience any of that? Never. Never. You know, I think one of the biggest battles, and I think this is just the way it is, uh, much like the resistance to technology is an inside job, I think homophobia is an inside job. I think a lot of it has to do with the fears that, that I project out there. And I just have to get those under wraps and walk in the room like I belong and, uh, love people and uh let the fear go and everything's fine everything's fine if i expect to be rejected then there's going to be a weird energy you know so i had to work through that you know the anticipation of the christian rejection everybody's oh nashville's the buckle of the bible belt <laughs> you know um they they, they really are not going to be happy about you and you know I can choose to believe that, or I can choose to believe that I'm going to find people that are happy about me, and it's an inside job. I had to I had to work through that internally, because I've never had a problem in this town. Mm-mm. 
no, I got I got on the Opry. I got a I got a record deal at Universal. Uh, not only was I gay, I was forty. <laughs> I mean, that's two pretty big strikes. I mean, all I needed was to be black and Jewish, gay and forty. You know, there's only two left. You know that that I mean that would have been impossible. I, I but it it hadn't been a problem. Got a publishing deal. I got, I got you know what this town is. Um, I remember a quote from Chet Atkins. They asked him about that Nashville sound when he was uh, producing records right and left and created this thing called the Nashville sound, which is this kind of a, like this Phil Spector wall of sound, but the Nashville version. And and uh, Chet smiled and put his hand in his pocket and jingled some coins and said, there's your Nashville sound. <laughs> right? You got the songs, they don't care. They don't care. Right? You could be a whatever, yeah. you know. If you can, if you got the songs and they think they can sell them, it don't matter. I never get tired of Chet Atkins quotes. He's got so many good ones. Gosh. <laughs> There's no money above the fifth fret. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, he um, he sent me a personal message saying, Mary, I love Mercy Now, I've recorded it. And I thought it was a joke. I was new on Twitter. I didn't have, I maybe had 20 followers at that point. I was just getting the swing of what is this thing and how do you engage in it and what is it for? And, and bing, like it comes in my iPhone and boy, George, I thought, who's messing with me? <laughs> Come on. And then I follow back and it really is like 7.5 million followers. I'm like, oh my God, this is the boy George. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's what I said. I said, well, how do you answer this? And I just exclamation pointed it. And I'm like, oh my God, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's so awesome to hear from you. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I love what you've done. I mean, boy George went first. You know, he went first. Nobody had done what he had done. His voice is just wonderful. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And and he's, um, you know, he, he hit a hard bottom. He hit a hard bottom. And um, he came out of it wiser and stronger and uh, uh, healthier. And he's really turned his life around. And um, uh, I, I, I couldn't be prouder to... Uh, to be in contact with him and, and to be affiliated with him and to have him want to record one of my songs. But I haven't met him yet. Yeah. I anticipate that I will, though. Well, what's that feel like? I mean, if we go back to the 80s and think that one day, you know, Boy George would be recording, and a lot of other people also, you know, be recording one of your songs. What's that feel like? It's hard to, I can't connect a feeling to it. Does it feel real? No. No. It feels surreal. You know? Um, and I've had a real hard time, and it's caused me problems, not understanding what it means. And you were a uh, a philosophy major. Yeah, still am. Still am. I haven't got the degree yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a lifelong uh, pursuit, isn't it? Yeah, everything I learn, I have to unlearn, and then relearn. Um, I love language, and I love. Uh, I, I love the history of of of, of uh, philosophy, and, and and I've got uh, from the from the Romans to the Greeks to to the existentialists to to uh, 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 so many of the of the great uh, uh, 
bodies of thought. I, I fell in love with it in college, and I knew that there would be no future in that. But I didn't care. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And I think that kind of as songwriters, that's what we're doing, really. Yeah. Were you not thinking about it as a career path? You just wanted to dive into it? I just loved it. I, didn't, I knew I was unemployable. <laughs> I knew that there was no way I was ever going to be employable. That I just would always walk away from an employer. Uh, so I felt free to do whatever I wanted. I wasn't going to school to get a job. I was going to school to get an education. And I was lucky enough that I was such a screwed up kid. I mean, I went to my first rehab when I was 15. Um, and, and in and out of rehabs, in and out of halfway houses. Uh, that that um, By the time I decided I wanted to go to college, uh, there were uh, opportunities for it to be paid for. Because I had screwed up so much, there was still a bit of a social safety net back then. They had this thing called voc rehab, vocational rehabilitation. It paid for me to go to college for four years. You know, voc rehab. V O C voc rehab. I thought you said folk for a second. Folk rehab. That'd be cool. <laughs> Send the folk singer to college. <laughs> folk rehab. Yep. Yeah, no, it was in. Uh, it was in. It was in Baton Rouge, LSU. Uh, they. Uh, they had voc rehab, and I just filled out some paperwork and just showed them what a mess I was when I was a kid. And they said, well, you're trying to turn your life around. Let us help you. It was great. It was just great. And my boss helped pay for my books, and uh, uh, he helped pay for uh, the other expenses that voc rehab didn't cover. And I was able to go to college for five and a half years and study what I wanted to study. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's It was beautiful. great. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was. I wish we still did that for kids. So did you ever get to meet Steam Train, Mari Graham? I didn't meet Steam Train. You didn't meet him? No, I read his obituary. That's how I... I saw that picture of you with him. That, that's great. I saved that picture. It's really cool. Yeah, I was in uh, Amsterdam, and his obituary got run in the International Herald Tribune, which is, uh, I think, a New York Times uh, Associated Press international paper that picks up the hot stuff on the wires in the States for expats or people who are traveling in Europe and um, saw his obituary and it just grabbed me and I'd, I had intentionally uh, stayed past a tour to, to write. I knew I needed to write. I was, I was not writing. I was touring too much and I thought if I just make myself stay in this hotel, I will find a song. And I was scrounging looking for it and I stumbled on his obituary and he, he captivated me. I mean, the hobo, the, the hobo king. Oh my God, hobos have kings? What is this? <laughs> and as I went deeper and deeper into it, it got better and better and better. And I just spent a week just completely captivated by the story and by looking for the song. I wish I'd have met him. I love playing that song. It's a favorite. I think it's one of my favorite songs I ever wrote. It's a good one. It's a good one. He'd be proud of it. I hope so. Yeah, you know, I've been, I've been on the road pretty hard now for, for a decade, a little more than a decade, and uh, I've been everywhere. I've, I've just traveled and traveled and traveled, and the world feels like uh, one big community to me. I think borders are ridiculous. I hate borders. I don't like borders. Um, I, don't, I don't see them as useful. I love being a citizen of the world, and I think more and more technology is going to bring us all to that place. When I post on Facebook's Book. I get comments from France, Italy, Spain, Canada, Germany, Russia, yeah. England, Scotland, Ireland, and everybody's mixing all together now. 
Yeah. People can talk to each other as citizens of the world. And that is going to, that's going to change everything. I can see it. It's going to change everything. People uh, um, everywhere are so much alike. The human nature is, is so similar. But uh, the generalizations are kind of tough for national identity things, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I just, I've been so richly blessed, Otis. I don't even know how to express my gratitude for how richly blessed I've been. And I picked up a guitar real late in life, 35 years old. Uh, and uh, at 40, I walked away from all I knew uh, and came here. And uh, over the last 10 years, the world has opened up to me. And uh, I haven't actually slowed down long enough to a- assess it because <laughs> I keep pushing and wanting to go forward and accomplish, accomplish. But uh, just just taking a moment here to just think of some of the amazing things that have occurred uh, makes me, uh, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for it. You know, I could have never predicted it or expected it. Well, the idea that your songs would let you go play in Sweden, you know, or Holland or in the UK. That's crazy. More than I ever would have dreamed of. I know. I know. These little things I make up in my writing room take me all over the world and pay for the flights. <laughs> wow. It's a good deal. Wow. I know. I know. It's incredible. It's just incredible. And they mean something to people that I admire. Wow. What was wow. your What was your first overseas uh, gig or tour? Do you remember Germany? Germany. Germany. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah. Oh man, I had no concept of jet lag. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how, how how beat up I would feel getting over there, and and I needed some time to to sleep it off and get acclimated. I didn't have any idea. Hmm. Um. And and you know I had. Uh, uh, this British musician brought me over, and um, he booked five or six shows, and uh, tooled around with him, and stayed at his house in Nuremberg. Uh, and that was my first time over. And then I got this uh, record deal on a Dutch label called Munich Records, and they started bringing me over for uh, press and festivals and stuff, and that just opened it all up. It opened it all up. That's good. No, no, I got lucky there. Yeah. I got real lucky there. Was the press nice to you? And, and yeah, home? they always have been. Okay. I think they'll continue to be nice to me as long as I don't sell records. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's when you start selling records is that when you become a yeah, I've never sold records. Yeah, I played uh, a couple months ago at a maximum security uh, 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 mental uh, uh, institution slash prison for uh, the most dangerous criminals in Norway. And uh, that was intense, really, really intense. Um, it, was, uh, uh, it was about, about uh, six guys, one woman. And they were in, you know, it was for the, uh, it was a maximum security place for the criminally insane. So it wasn't just a prison, it was a mental hospital. 
And when they came in the room, um, you couldn't tell the prisoners from the staff. They were all dressed in street clothes. And, um, um, and I started playing. And as I looked around, you started, you could tell, the, you could tell the crazy people from the staff. And um, it was really intense. It's really intense. It's way more intense than I thought it would be. Was it, there a separation between you and the audience? No, it's just staff. There's like five or six staff for each prisoner. But no guns. They don't have guns in those prisons. Mm -mm. Now, if somebody went crazy, it would be bad. Um, th there was, uh, um, you know, a moment at the end where I went to the table. And in Norway, they give them uh, uh, money. They pay them to be in prison. So they have money to spend. And so they wanted to buy CDs. So I'm standing at the CD table sell selling, you know, I'm looking at this dude. I'm thinking, this guy definitely killed his parents. And I'm just looking at him thinking, he massacred, he massacred his family. He just had that look of complete and total schizophrenia and, 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 and danger. Um, I'm standing at the CD table thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing? He's going to listen to this thing over and over again, and when he gets out of here, he's going to come to Nashville, Tennessee – and find me. I wanted to like rescind the the CD sales, but I had to sell it to him. And and uh, I just had a moment of of uh, of real compassion and and admiration for the staff, people who work in those places. Man, day in and day out, and day in and day out. Whoa, that's some really good people. Really good people. I could never do that. That would it drained my energy to be there for an hour. You know, I think for me sometimes it's like childbirth. You just forget the pain and then you go get pregnant again. You know, it's kind of, when I'm home, I romanticize the hell out of the road. When I'm on the road, I romanticize the hell out of being at home. I think I'm kind of a delusional person. <laughs> I know I know. there's times, I remember uh, flying from England, like being on the road 60 days in Europe and the UK. Cold, rainy, miserable touring, snow, ice, sleep, driving on the wrong side of the road, freezing, freezing cold dressing rooms with no heat, um, bad hotels, horrible hotels, like 60 days of that, and then having to go to Australia from there. So, like, a flight from, um, like, Newcastle to London, and then London to Hong Kong, and then Hong Kong to... To Sydney, which all total is somewhere around 28 hours, something like that. Wow. And you already beat up for, for 60 days and I'm getting there and uh, cr crying for three days. <laughs> like crying for three days. Like I had emotionally collapsed. And I didn't know why. Like I was expecting the physical part of the jet lag, but the emotional part I always forget. That there is an emotional component. And if you're if you have a propensity towards darkness or if there's ever been any real trauma in your life, it brings it all back out. Like your coping mechanisms get sucked out of your ears or something happens and all of the things that protect you from that are just gone. I was just crying and I couldn't get it together. And, and I haven't been back to Australia since. 
I mean, I remember that, and I'm afraid of that. that that's the kind of thing that uh, uh, can 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 you can end up in a hospital from that, you know. And so I try really hard not to push myself that hard. Um, but I don't have any funny sort of car breakdown stories. Uh, when it gets hard for me, it gets real hard. And I try not to think about it and remember it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, it's just pain. Because I, I, have, I have experienced quite a bit of, of, uh, of loss and trauma and, and starts and restarts and I carry it and I handle it most of the time, but I'm, I'm, I got to remember I am fragile. You yeah. know, I, I get, I get, I get delusional and think I'm tough, but, uh, <laughs> in all honesty, I'm fragile. And I think most of us are, I think that's why we get the songs, but I think that honoring how fragile we are, I mean, so many of us die young and, and it's because, because of that fragile nature, you know, and the, the, the business the business part, you end up trying to prove how tough you are, while that fragile part is just dying inside. So, in the end, uh, I'm better off just saying I'm fragile than having to get around to being remembered, to, to being reminded about it, you know? So, I think it's part two, maybe of getting older, you know, getting older, getting more in touch with with um, limitations of what I, I really, I, I know I'm not capable of that. I would never do that anymore. I would never fly from a 60-day tour in Europe to a three-week tour in Australia, thinking that, oh, I can do that. No problem. Two days off, we'll spin it around. You know, I, I can handle that. No, I can't handle that. Nobody can handle that. No. And you show up at the gig, and you got to put on a smile and, and try to entertain people after all of that. It's just too much to – it's not fair to the people once you get to Australia. I'm bleeding on them. You know, it's not, good. it's not good. Even if I was in business class and I wasn't, it, it would be hard. I mean, imagine, look at Hillary Clinton. She's been on airplanes around the world now for six years, yeah. five years, five years, nonstop, around the world, around the world, around the world, around the world, to pressure situations, pressure. I mean, I can only imagine what a secretary of state feels like. And knowing things that we'll never know. Pressure yeah. and travel and jet lag and pressure and travel. There's something about going around the world that turns your head upside down. I had a um, massage therapist slash healer say, look, the magnetic pull of the poles are different down there. And your brain waves get, get rearranged, literally. And it takes a long time to, to adjust. And, and um, gosh, you know, I, I think musicians and diplomats have a lot in common. That's why I brought that up. Because in a way, we are diplomats. We do represent uh, where we come from. And we travel as much as diplomats. A lot of us do. And so, uh, uh, you know, I guess that's a long answer to a short question. Well, thank you very much for uh, inviting me into your living room and putting up with me and being part of this. I appreciate this. Oh, it's my pleasure. I wish you great success with this. I love that you're going out in the world with this. I think it's a really good idea. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Mary for inviting me into her living room in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to find out more about Mary, just go to marygoshay.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com. 
You can pick up a CD, a T-shirt. You can download any record I've ever made. You can buy one of my photographic prints. It'd look great on your wall. You could buy one of Amy's records. You could buy Amy's children's book. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. It really helps us move up in search rankings and helps a lot more people find out about this show. But if you enjoy this show or you enjoy my music or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell somebody, tell a friend, and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at info at I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.